Welcome to the Benakiba Connects podcast, a podcast exploring the challenges and transformational technology in the insurance industry. Join us as we talk about industry issues and the technology, tactics, and tools that will help your business become a beneficiary first company. We are on a mission to help our clients become customer centric in their approach to claims management with powerful processes, customer experiences, and technology. Now, here's your host, Ashley Oxholm. Good morning and welcome to the Benakiva Connects podcast. My name is Ashley Oxholm. I am your host. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dan Seifried. How are you doing today, Dan? Good morning, Ashley. I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing good. So Dan is the Chief Information and Operations Officer at Sons of Norway. So Dan, we're doing a focus here on smaller carriers and the challenges that they're facing and and the great parts about working for a smaller carrier, what smaller carriers can offer that bigger carriers may not be able to. But before we get into all of that, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? So again, I'm, I'm Dan. I started in the industry right out of college. I started back in the time of Y2K challenges. And they were hiring programmers like crazy at the time. And I was a math major and I was giving some thought to actuary, potentially going down that path. And like I said, they were they were hiring a lot of programmers at the time. So I started a carrier with a with a thought of going to actuary at some point, but I found out that programming, a software engineer, was really a good fit for me. And so I stayed at that path. I spent nearly twenty-three years with Thrivent Financial, mostly in areas of IT and applications. And then I departed there and joined the, did a stint of contracting. And then I joined the Sons of Norway here about two and a half years ago. I am married to my wife also. And we, yes. And we live in the North Metro of the uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul area. We're in a suburb of St. St. Paul called Lionel Lakes, and we have a dog named Micah. Very nice. So you intended on going into insurance, the insurance industry. We don't, we don't meet a lot of people who intend on doing that. I kind of fell into it myself. Was that always oh, your I, plan? I didn't either. No, I was <laughs> a math major in school and was thinking teaching. My folks were teachers, and I was thinking teachers teaching. In fact, all my siblings are teachers. I'm the black sheep of the family. But uh, as I was going, you know, going through, <clears throat> again, the opportunity kind of presented itself. I figured, well, I'll see what an office job's about. So my, my first summer was pretty tough. I, all my summer jobs prior to that had been lifeguarding, swimming lessons, mowing lawns for the city, stuff like that. So I moved to the big city <clears throat> of Minneapolis. And I think I spent a portion of every day just staring out the window wondering what all this concrete was about and how I was going to survive and over the years I started to think less and less about the concrete and now I've been commuting 25 plus years and I don't even think about it anymore but uh but yeah that, that I don't know how many people plan to get into the insurance industry again I I started with a good company I found it was a good role for me what I actually learned when I started <clears throat> was that I wasn't, <clears throat> excuse me, I wasn't a huge fan of math. 
I was a fan of problem problem solving. Yeah. And so when they got into programming, it was the problem solving without the math. And hey, they'd pay me for that. Nobody pays you to do math problems. So it worked out. Hopefully it worked out for both of us. It worked out for me at least. Absolutely. Now we have a joke at Benakiva when we do this podcast is we say like no one ends up in insurance intentionally. Like no one is sets up when they're a child being like, I'm going to be in insurance. And if that person does exist, I don't, want to be close friends to them like it's definitely it's definitely an industry that's wonderful to be in and when you get started in it you stick I like you I wanted to be a teacher when I was younger and in high school and I I started out in that in college and then I was like no I want to work in nonprofits I want to you know lead the world to good and and when I graduated college I realized Student loans have to be paid back and nonprofits probably aren't the best industry to generate an income to do that. And so I moved to working for software companies and and I've been in this industry. Well, I, I first worked for a large insurance carrier processing claims and then I moved to software and I, I've been in it for, oh my goodness, 14 years now. So yeah, it's not really anything anyone intentionally gets into, but I've noticed once you get into it, you kind of stay. Like there's a lot of tenure in it. Yeah, I think that's true. I do have to put a plug in based on your comment. So I used to spend some time at career fairs trying to bring on junior individuals, interns, that type of stuff. And as a fraternal, I think we're going to talk about that later, but a fraternal, we're actually a not-for-profit company. What I would tell the kids when they came by you know, hey, you know, you can go and, and hug a tree. You can also come work for us and you can pursue information technology. You can pursue, you know, your your kind of traditional professional path and you can do it for a nonprofit. And it's a really unique thing that fraternals offer that most people don't realize. Absolutely. No, that's an excellent point. And had I known that existed earlier in my career, I think that's definitely the route I would have I would have gone to. Because uh, on one hand, I grew up a person of faith and in a faith, you know, a Christian based home. And so I pursued nonprofit organizations within that were that were faith based afterwards. And, and then, like I said, I, I moved over to the insurance carrier. And, and had I known there existed a world where you could could work within insurance and have that nonprofit and, you know, the familiarity of, of being faith-based, which, you know, many fraternals are, I I think I would have pursued that. So let's go ahead and talk about exactly what a fraternal is. I think you brought up a great point. I think a lot of people don't really understand or know it unless you have worked in or within them. Right. So a fraternal is, there's actually a U.S. tax code that really drives what a fraternal is. But what we are is a not-for-profit mutual insurer where our members have a common bond. So our common bond here is that our members all resonate with the values of the Norwegian people. So not everybody's Norwegian, though many of them are, but everybody resonates with those values. And that's really what's key to the fraternal is that each one, in order to have the tax status. I'm not a tax lawyer, but but the idea is that there is this common bond and it's this, this common group of people that for us 128 years ago, we just had our 128th anniversary, wow. came together and said, hey, 
we need to make sure that we're looking out for each other. We need to pool our funds such that if somebody does have an issue, we can look out for them. And that's really how it started. And then it's continued and, and really you know, flourished over the years. Uh, but that's what a fraternal is. Again, we're a not-for-profit mutual insurer. And there's getting to be fewer of them now. And frankly, we're a, a little bit on the smaller side. Some of them are, are on the smaller side, but there's some that are, you know, significantly, you know, larger than us. But again, it's kind of a, a unique thing. And as you mentioned before, you weren't aware of it, but, you know, it really is a unique thing where you can, you know, get your insurance and the things that you need through a group of people that you have an association or affiliation with. And not only that, but again, it's a mutual. So there's a lot of benefits, you know, in my opinion, of mutual insurers. Absolutely. And, you know, it goes back to the origination of life insurance in the United States. You could say that the first life insurance organization or company in the, in, in the United States was very much a fraternal. It was created by the Presbyterian Church in the 1760s and late 60s, early 1770s, while we were heading towards the Revolutionary War. And the Presbyterian Church created a, a fund or a life insurance fund for widows and orphans as people were gearing up to go to war. And there was a lot of loss of life and there were a lot of widows and orphans left. And so you can, you know, to that classification of having, you know, that that the same values of, you know, the Presbyterian Church at the time and starting out in that organization, you could say that the life insurance industry really started out very much like a fraternal. That's exactly how it started. Yes, you've yeah. just described it. That's exactly how it started. Which that's just incredible to me. You know, I, I, I currently, I just finished a class at Harvard University that, that was talking about corporate sustainability. And, and I did my deep dive into the history of life insurance. And then I evaluated a ton of life insurance and how it's grown in the United States and a lot of boring factors in there. But that was one thing that caught my eye is life insurance has actually been around longer than the United States in the United States. Well, and I'm not a historian, right? So, so, but, but again, the, you know, kind of the reason it started there was because people were looking out for each other. Yeah. Right. So, so the example you mentioned, I'm not familiar with, with what organization you're referring to, that was probably a fraternal, but, 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 but again, you know, it really was earlier than that. It was groups of people that were looking out for each other because they knew that they needed to. And then it started to get more sophisticated clearly and we are where we are today but you know it's a great great story of just people looking out for each other absolutely okay so let's move on and talk about some of the struggles that those small carriers or fraternals face well i think all carriers right now are are dealing with kind of the after effects of of covid and frankly kind of an influx of of clients into the into the life insurance mm -hmm. marketplace who wouldn't normally have been there and just understanding how those clients are going to interact how long they're going to stay around you know those types of things as a smaller company that's true for us too right it's it's similar our scale is just smaller, right? So our, our scale is smaller, but those types of, of challenges and, and where the market is, is really what we're looking at. Probably unique to us is just our ability, you know, to meet all the things that we need to as a carrier and make sure that we're doing right by 
our members and customers. So as, as you're aware, there are a number of things that a carrier needs to do. And we rely not only on our excellent, you know, dedicated employees, but we also rely on our partners for that. So it's difficult to be able to do everything that we do. So we seek out, you know, kind of key partners that we can trust that are that are able to help us out and fit in where we need. My background in in software and systems, that's obviously very important. When I started, we were doing custom software for everything. That's just the way it was done. You tried to get a package software if you could. We had some package softwares. There was a lot of custom software here. And I came here and we have a lot of custom software. It's great because we were able to do, you know, what our business asked of us at the time. The challenge with it is that it's very difficult to update. It's hard to keep it up up to pace. The generation of platforms that much of it was built on, and unless you did a major port or rewrite, is also aging. And so that means that a lot of the people skilled in it and willing to work on it you know, are getting toward their retirement years and you know they're buying their ocean places and their RVs to live in and and you know we're just trying to keep the lights on. So there's challenges and again that that meets everybody, but as a small carrier it's particularly difficult because we have to find the partners that are willing to work with us and work with smaller carrier because we can't bring, you know, frankly, we don't bring the volume, nor do we bring the dollars to the table. But so SaaS has been really interesting for us. So software as a service is aware of that, but it's been really interesting for us because it's allowed us with a lower entry fee to be able to get the systems in. So even with shrink wrap software, you know, you'd have to implement it and implementation system implementations, you know, would, would be major efforts. You know, it's got to run on your platform. You got it on, get it on the platform. You got to scale for it and those types of things. Whereas with SAS, it's been a little easier for us to get, get some systems up where we've been able to approach that. Our biggest challenge, and again, with other carriers is really going to be our core admin systems, because that's where the secret sauce is for, for all carriers. And it's also the most difficult to deal with. So what we've done here is we've had a strategy around more of our peripheral systems or our engaging systems. So I'm sure we're going to talk at some point about our, our claims initiative here, but we've had a fairly major claims initiative going on where we did partner with Ben Akiva to to replace our internal life and annuity claim system with a newer generation system. And we really were able to, you know, it's cliche, but leapfrog because we went from our, our legacy system, which was still, many of our systems here are not, but that particular system was still the green screen system. And so we were able to move from the green screen system to a new, you know, web-based system, which which works pretty well. People are able to train on it. It's a little more intuitive, you know, those types of things mm-hmm. that you like to get from the more modern system. So that helped us, but generally that's, that's what we look for. And like I said, we've got some key partners that have helped us out and we've been you know, looking for some others to, to try and modernize our systems just as everybody. But the, again, the challenge is you can't replace everything at once. So you got to kind of pick your battles and, and, and go forward with it. And that's how we've approached it. No, absolutely. And, and I'll 
I'll tell you this because it, it's kind of inspiring. From working with Sons of Norway and what we've been able to do with you guys and being a partner, we actually created what we internally call the fraternal package, where we are able to, to work with fraternals and, and we work with a, a few others now. And we're able to come in and, and meet them where they're at, where they're at with their budget, where they're at with their claims volumes, you know, where that's at. So that's been really exciting. I have a, a soft spot soft spot in my heart for fraternals after working with a few of them now and just the the things that you guys face. But no, you're absolutely right. And when we're talking with other carriers that are like, well, we'll just build internally. I'm like, in two years, your system's going to be out of date. You're going to have to continually hire people to to do things. And so, you know, finding those really good partnerships that you can find with companies that that do what you need them to do is, I think, key in moving forward. And I don't just say that as somebody who, Ben Akiva, who would be a partner for claims and servicing, but just across the industry, that's just the way it's moving. And uh, I think I think it's good. I think it's good because it gives the opportunity for carriers of all sizes to find what they're looking for and move forward into the future. So yes, tell and, me- and it's interesting to hear that, that you've kind of nicknamed it that fraternal package. I mean, that, that sounds like a great deal. Of course, you've named it wrong. I believe it's the Sons of Norway Way. Yes, right? yes, of course. That's what we yeah. should rename it, the that's Sons of Norway that's Way. What that's what you meant. Yes, yes, that's that's what I meant. So tell me a little bit about Sons of Norway. What sets you guys apart? What what keeps you working there and, and working with the people there and the service that you bring your members? Well, like every job, it's it's you know it's about the members and the people that you work with. You know, I I found early. You mentioned it's interesting that you fall into insurance, and that's kind of true. And I'll say that even on that, I fell into a. a fraternal, you know, and understanding kind of what it means, you know, to have that not-for-profit. I do, you know, see the benefits in that and and have been active in church and that type of stuff. And for me, that resonated. Um, you know, the other thing, of, of course, is that life insurance itself is interesting. And it's really not until you see the stories of the people that unfortunately had to make a claim, yeah. you know, and how, and what it meant for them and the fact that we were able to be there. And so it's those types of things that keep me here. And again, the, the, the challenge and, and the people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I always, when we talk with carriers and, and when I was working within the insurance industry, I'm like, you get the privilege of working with people on the worst day of their life or one of the worst days of their life. And it truly is a privilege because Hopefully, if you're doing your job well and you're serving your members, you're bringing some kind of ease to that. I remember the process. My mother passed away when I was a teenager, and I remember the process of my dad going through and and doing a life insurance and, and all of that and what a security that ended up being. And so I saw from a young age the value of life insurance because her, her death was quite unexpected. So moving into the industry and talking with people day in and day out who, who are working with these members and these people who truly are experiencing something just terrible and on one of the worst days of their life, I think it just brings such a value to what we do in the industry and is such an encouragement to stay member focused. Yes, and, and your story resonates with me as well. I lost my my father-in-law a couple years ago, and he had a policy, and he had, you know, he had prioritized that and making sure that he had 
you know, left something to, to cover expenses and funeral expenses and those types of things. That was important to him. And that was, you know, that was excellent that he had, he had done that. And that was, that was available. So it was a very tough time, you know, for my wife and the family. And so it was, it was nice that he had thought, you know, enough about that beforehand. Absolutely. And I'm sorry for your loss. That is just so hard. So let's shift. What do you think the next five years for the insurance industry looks like? Well, I think, you know, for us and for most carriers, the near term, of course, will be about about the the market and the finances of it. Kind of the the understanding of, of what some of these new clients meant and how long they stick around and how their business behaves, how the, the blocks of business behave because of that change. The technology changes are going to continue. I'm sure most carriers had had wished or hoped that they would have been done with their modernization efforts by now. I'm not sure how many carriers actually are. It's a, you know, it's a very heavy lift. And more and more, I think people will be pursuing the SaaS solutions and and whatnot. My personal belief is that you know moving from your internal infrastructure to a to a cloud provider, while there's some benefits some benefits there, you still have to do the the bulk of the work. And it really isn't until you're moving to the software level where they're administering. You know, not only the infrastructure, but keeping you on up-to-date versions. And I've been working with with SaaS vendors for, well, probably since at least 2013. And it's it's just great that that they're keeping you up-to-date and you're apprised of when new versions are going to come out. You maybe do some light testing, but you're not impacted, you know, versus, you know, even even older versions of tools where you had heavily customized and you had to bring in releases and, and review the releases for change, you know, and all those types of things. So the technology is going to continue, you know, AI was the, the buzzword for a few years and everything was going to be automated and everything was, was going to be perfect. And nobody'd have to do anything. It's not going to land there. It will be really <laughs> interesting to see where it lands and how it plays, you know, into the forecasting and in the numbers, frankly, underwriting, for instance, with, with carriers, all of that's going to be very, very, you know, interesting RPA tools and, and, and transitional technologies to get from your legacy systems, you know, to your other more modern systems with your integrations and other, again, other transitional tools are going to be very important because again, it is very difficult to swap everything out at once. You know, it's the old changing your tire while the car is running down the road, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd say that's a challenge that many of our carriers face. So what advice do you have to these other fraternals but what what would you tell them well again our our focus here really has been to try and address some of our technology challenges and and again it's it's not just us but but it's it would be other carriers too where we have these systems that were a great fit for us time and place you know and just aren't as good a fit now we've had some strategy changes overall business strategy changes and the ability to change those systems has has been difficult. So like I said, that's why we've been focused more on the transitional and the engagement. We've done some, you know, really neat things for automation internally. Our, if you know much about 
sons we've we've grown from again we're a small carrier in 2020 when i started we had i think 16,500 policies on the books or about that now we're closer to 30,000 policies on the books awesome. so some of the activities i would refer to as the white glove activities didn't scale even with those numbers they didn't scale the way we needed them to and so luckily as an organizations and I'll specifically call out my operations teams here you know they have just been willing to accept change after change and that includes what we've done with Benakiva and what we've done with other systems and it's very difficult to do that and it's extremely to, to difficult to do it with the change resistant group so Absolutely. here we've been able to do change after change and and really seen some neat things and again that's helped us move from again that that white glove if you will to still focused on the member but just understanding that writing every individual letter or processing every little transaction isn't the distinction that you want to make right those are the things you want to automate those are the things that you don't really need a, a human to do because they're not providing value so get that clutter out of the way and let them focus on the real that that make a difference to the members and so that's where we've been at the again the the digital transformation if you will 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 continue in the near term and i you know i expect that to be true for others but certainly certainly for us absolutely and and on that note you know like i said we work with a few fraternals now and and digitizing that claims and servicing process you know, for them eliminating just exactly what you said, eliminating those things that can be automated because they bring no value to the actual experience that the member is is having as far as having someone manually do it and, and eliminating a lot of those manual workaround processes. I mean that that's where it's at for a lot of a lot of the other conversations I have with fraternals is, you know, being able to present that single platform to process and service a claim and eliminate those manual workaround processes, reduce those NIGOs down to nothing. That's really where we've been able to serve. And, and that's been so great to see. It's it's wonderful to see our fraternals and our carriers have success in, in be able to change the way that they're processing and servicing these claims. That's really where we get so much gratification at Benakiva is, is being able to see like, oh my goodness, not only are we making their life so much easier on the day to day, but we're also giving them the opportunity to just service their members better. And claims is really where it comes to roost, right? That you've made that commitment. It could have been a hundred years. And now all of a sudden somebody's experienced an event and we have to be there for them and we have to be timely. We have to be quick. We have to be appropriate. We, we still had some things in, in file folders, you know, before our implementation here centered around specific individuals. Um, yeah. And, and now with the system change, one of the things that we have done is because claims is all done through Benakiva. If somebody calls in, the CSP, the customer service rep, can pull the system up. They can see the status of the claim. They can say, yeah, you know, we sent you this form, but you didn't get back to us. Why don't you go online, enter the information, submit it from there, and then we can keep this one moving. Yeah, so those types cool. of things we've been we've been able to get. And, and that's really where kind of that ability to serve and not, you know, not just process transactions kind of comes to roost. 
Absolutely. I, I've talked with other people in the industry and when people are grieving, they're not always the most pleasant to, to work with or deal with. They're, they're very clearly struggling. I remember I've been in this position before. I was not a pleasant person. And so making it as easy as possible for them to file a life insurance claim and see that following through is such a huge blessing in the moment because they're just overwhelmed with so many other things. So it truly is. It's an honor for us to be able to help with that process. And our our partnership with Sons of Norway is one that we value so much. And Dan, thank you so much for coming on this podcast and and talking with me about your experience and, and just being able to open up about what fraternals are facing. I know a lot of our listeners will appreciate it. A lot of them are working within fraternals and doing what you're doing. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you for your time and thank you for having me. All right. Thanks for joining us this week on the Benakiva Connects podcast. Make sure to visit our website, www.benakivaconnects.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you liked this show, you might want to check out a demo of our software. Simply go to www.benakiva.com and click request a demo. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode where we will continue setting the digital foundation for end-to-end claims and servicing transformation.